Hello and welcome to another Sonic Talk. This is episode 399, recording today on April the 8th, 2015. Uh, this is the last show that we've got just before Music Matter, but I do have another show to go live on the Wednesday of Music Matter if you're looking for your fix. And frankly, you haven't had enough videos from Music Matter. I've done an interview with uh, Darren from Isotope, Isotonic Studios, who make kind of Max for Live devices and uh, kind of stuff that works in between controls. Really interesting chat with him, actually. So I look forward to that next week. I uh, also want to say thank you to our show sponsors. We have indeed... Uh, I, now, it's always very difficult when you say isotonic and isotope in the same kind of paragraph. Isotope, <laughs> who are uh, showing us more about the Iris 2 uh, spectral synthesizer. And uh, we will, of course, have the announcement of last week's competition, which a lucky person will have won Iris 2. And we'll be running another competition this week. So we thank them very much for their uh, continued sponsorship. And, of course, uh, thank you very much to the chat room. We've got a nice, fulsome chat room, I'm not ashamed to say. So uh, thank you very much for joining us, all you folk. I hope your bosses are not on your cases and you've got some kind of... Uh, job protection kind of strategy in place in case you're doing this in the workplace. But uh, we do appreciate you sticking around and uh, watching our live stream. Anyway, um, let's go to our people. We have Mr. Robbie Bronneman over there in Robot Studios back in Blighty after his uh, long, uh, well, uh, reasonably long tour with Howard Jones in the States where they were doing uh, a number of shows. We talked to him about his rig and what have you. Robbie Bronneman, of course, is a studio owner, composer, music music director, uh, sorry, MD for uh, uh, for Howard Jones and also uh, producer, songwriter, all those things. How are you, Robbie? I'm very good, thanks. I'm, I'm glad to be back. Yeah, no, it's good to see you back. I see you've gone sort of blue and purple today with the uh, the lighting mode. Yeah, yeah. Can always, you can always change it up a little bit. Hey, look at that. According to your mood, do you remember those? Yeah. Um, I think it, who was it who wrote? It's it's uh, Ian M. Banks, isn't he? He wrote the kind of whole thing about the robots that glow with an aura, so you can tell what mood they are because they're just inanimate objects, and rather than facial expressions, they just sort of change the lighting around them to tell you how they feel. So maybe you can. Uh, <laughs> maybe, oh. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, le- they could learn a thing or two off you anyway, Robbie. Great to have you aboard, and thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. Uh, and we've also got over there Mark Tinley. Look, today Hello. you're looking a bit like an '80s poster. I yeah. think it's the I think it's the red and the kind of like almost like lightning streak of a microphone coming into you, Mark Tinley. Of course, uh, sound artist, uh, creative thinker, and. Uh, He's not actually incarcerated, though it does look a little bit like a mugshot kind of backdrop. I've got, I've got a, I've got a white background because I never know what mood I'm in. Ah, there we go. He's so mercurial. <laughs> anyway, Mark, yeah. nice to have you. Need a green screen. You can put whatever you want in. <laughs> oh, don't, don't. Actually, you, were you here when he was trying out the camera thing and he was just throwing all sorts of stuff behind him, giving himself some. Really bizarre yeah, eyeballs. That was fantastic. It's a shame the computer that just makes it crash, though. Unfortunately, such a shame. We'll have to get definitely get some specials on that. Anyway, Mark, great to have you aboard, of course, as ever. And Mr. Rich Hilton, who's there in Connecticut. Rich Hilton, of course, uh, on the been on the road in the UK. In fact, uh, for over recent weeks, uh, touring with Chic and Noel Rogers, who are uh, currently pushing their new single, uh, which is and gosh, uh, I'll be there. I'll be right there. I'll be right there. They're, 
Oh, he's gone quiet. He's muted, but that's no reflection on what he had to say. I'll be there. I'll be there. There we go. Anyway, Rich, how are you doing? You doing well? Yeah, real good. Thanks. Excellent. I see you're sporting your um, blue mofis because we're going to have a bit of a group review of those uh, sometime in the not-too-distant future. I am. I'm uh, breaking them in. Breaking them in. Do, I wouldn't, do, do you think um, headphones need breaking in? Because I know certain speakers, you're supposed to kind of you know, drive them for a while so that it all breaks. And I wonder if headphones are the same. Definitely. Definitely they do. Oh, really? Has to. Well, anytime you've got an elastic physical thing taking place, like a cone moving in and out or whatever, a trans- transduction taking place, the elasticity of the thing doing the transduction changes across its lifetime. Right. Do you, is that why those those old BBC speakers sound sort of they sound really flabby, but they also have a certain kind of plumminess to them, and that might be due to the elasticity I of bought, the... I bought some of them. Yeah, I, I remember you saying nice, nice set of Rogers speakers, and then I put a nine oh nine through them, and the elasticity went from being quite elastic to kind of going <laughs> and then broken. they stopped working. <laughs> it's a bit completely broken. Yeah. broken. That is such so a I shame. I think they 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 were kind of manufactured before anybody thought of 808s or 909s and they just seriously can't cope with that uh that the dynamics of the bass drum. So Goodbye. Yeah, Anybody think... got an, a Rogers bass driver for sale? Then you know. I'm sure. That, I'm sure that can be found. I mean, it can't be hard to. Oh to no! Discuss. Yeah, they were just unbelievably expensive, so it was a bit of a silly mistake, really. But whatever. No, well, I'll get I'm, over it. I'm, I'm so, I am sorry to hear that. It's always a sad day when the speakers go. I think I've blown a few tweeters in NS10s. Oh yes, I've done that. Um, uh, oh yeah, that's easy to who do. Hasn't? Isn't it? Yeah. Ooh, I had a pair it? of Tannoy Little Gold. I was always used to b- blow them. Oh, were they dual concentrics? Yeah, I always used to blow them, and uh, the studio owner was not happy. Well, they're expensive they're... to fix because they're... they're... <laughs> yeah, they were. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a pair of uh, Super Gold 10s, which were my sort of big speakers, when, I was, when, I, when, when, when we first kind of came into any sort of money earning from, from creating music. You know, I bought myself a pair of NS10s and a pair of Tannoy Super Golds. Never got on with the Super Golds. They always sounded just a bit wrong to me i could never understand them whereas i could eat i remember going up to the ns10s and i i, I just slammed the bass drum in really hard i used to drive them with a 1200 watt amp that i've got it's a zach thing which is uh, me- meant to drive atc scms uh and uh and i could if you look at the side you could just see that the the foam would crease and you'd know that you were hitting that sweet spot of 40 hertz <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're in the right place. Yeah, exactly. So we're talking mixing by eye now, are we? Mixing well, both. by eye as opposed yeah. to ear. Both. Well, because the ba- yeah. NS10s don't Absolutely. have, I don't have any proper bottom yeah, end, right. so you can kind of tell that they're that it's look, down there. Yeah. You have to look. Yes, yeah, it is. See, I, I'm I mean, not. It, I suppose the weird irony is that the reason I bought the Rogers speakers in the first place was because I've got into this virtual reference monitoring thing, the VRM box. Oh, yeah, and then I'd the... sort of I I decided that the Rogers sound was quite nice actually, and then I thought, well, since I've got this in the virtual world, maybe I should have it in the real world as well. But it's you know oh, the they... virtual version. You can't blow the virtual version up, can you? I suppose I didn't realise that. So that's the it's the is it a focus? It's one of it's the a focus right speakers thing. in the. So are they, in the they focus must have right. They... Yeah, if you're in the. They must it's have added that. vintage broadcast or new broadcast. I oh think. right, I don't remember those being particularly named. Is that right, Robbie? I haven't because I, I know. Oh, no, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the one that the, the what's the speaker company with yellow speak? KRK. I'm thinking oh, yeah. of that. The thing that's, that Gaz has got. Ah, that's, that's right. Speaker simulator. It's a hardware unit. It goes straps across the output, isn't it? 
Yes, I think so. And I think the the one that you're talking about, Mark, is uh, it's like a USB well, that's a K- headfa- K- headphone, K- isn't it? Right. Yeah, that's the K- yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. Well, there's two things. I've got a Focusrite DSP24, or it's a DSP Pro24, which is an audio interface, which has got the VRM in it, uh, and it runs in DSP. Or there's a uh, the VRM box, which is a USB audio interface, yeah. and then that runs somehow in as a USB it, it runs audio interface. in the computer, yeah, it runs in the computer, but it spits it out as USB and it just talks back and forth down the USB interface. Um, they're the same, though. It's effectively the same software and it emulates the same thing. It is good, though. I mean, I, I'll play the guitar with it on late at night and then I think, shit, I've left the speakers on. And then I take my headphones on and then it's like, oh, no, I haven't. I actually got fooled there for a moment. So ah, it is good. That's it's pretty, pretty good. And it gives you it gives you uh, a permanent place of reference. So now I've got used to a particular set of speakers in there by listening to all different kinds of music in that environment. Right. It means I can take that environment to anywhere. I've always maintained it doesn't matter what speakers I've got. If I listen to enough music through them, eventually I'll get to the point where I know what to do to make a good mix. So. And, and and the reason why studios are flat is because when we all go and work in different environments, we want to have some vague point of reference. Um, so if your point of reference is a virtual environment in your headphones or in your audio interface, and you can put your virtual strap your virtual environment to your ears and have that as your virtual point of reference or as yeah, a real yeah, yeah. point of reference, makes, makes sense. Then you but can... it's always the same. Then uh, it doesn't matter how accurate or inaccurate it is. If you know what it is, then you can mix into it and yeah. get good results. I see that's what you're saying. Bit. I see but what no, you're that's saying. Theory, and, and people often take their own speakers. Um, Rich, I mean, you've got the uh, the Mofis on. The, these are the blue uh, Mofis. We're all going to um, try out a pair and, and and give our impressions. I'm just curious because they, they have a kind of like ex- enhanced mode, which do sound very similar to listening to. That they give the impression of moving air. So there's a sort of speaker vibe to it. Do, do they sound like anything that you? Um, any reference point or is it just a sort of new thing for you so far with respect to that third switch position which switches in a bass boost um i find it heavy-handed for my taste right and i prefer the flat presentation that's supposedly when you turn on their amplification in the unit um and then there's a mode that disables the amplification and allows you to use it passively um, I haven't compared passive to just on, you know, because there's a level difference. It would take a bunch of kind of fussing with to get it. You couldn't really do a direct switch very easily. But um, massive, yeah. but the amplified version sounds fantastic to me. I mean, I've just had them for, you know, less than 24 hours and I'm playing various things. I'm trying to decide if I want to bring something this big on the road with me, quite honestly, because I'm used to carrying a set of in-ears and a backup set of in-ears, you know, and it just doesn't take up any room at all, and they sound fine, and it, it might, there's not a hole in my life there, but on the other hand, these might work really well on a plane. Yeah. Over to you, Robbie. You'd know. Well, I all I can say is on the tour, I think I probably put in maybe a hundred hours of listening to music I haven't listened to for a long time on them. So, you know, in, in, on long bus journeys, I just listen to music endlessly, album after album after album. 
and just was like, oh, I have, can't, can't remember that detail about this and that. I just, I just love them. Uh, they're very, they they are very, um, because they're, they're, I mean, I normally don't like closed ear headphones, but they don't have that sort of clamshell kind of ho 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 to them that a lot of those kind of things the do. The sound stage on them is so wide. Yeah. And the, um, I mean, what, uh, unlike Rich, actually, the, the, the really good use I think that bass boost is for is particularly a lot of the early 80s productions that were kind of very thin. You know, you put you put you put classic sort of eighties pop through them like Aha and things like that, and that eight that that extra that extra bass just brings a kind of solid warmth to the bottom. But I like like mm. he says, if you put it on anything modern or or that's already got that kind of warm sound, it tends to be a little bit sort of overblown. Well, that's interesting. It's a bit like putting the bigs. The, the Ronnie's on in the studio like you used to do. Can we yeah. listen? Because you, you, oh. the engineer, when, when I remember when I first used to go to a studio, you would always kind of, they'd say, no, no, listen on the, the small and we'll, we'll turn it up later, you know, try and save it for that special moment, you know, <laughs> so that you don't go, no, I just want to work on those the whole time because that's the temptation when you're kind of early into the game, I suppose. It's, it's like a little right. sonic treat occasionally. Right. Well, I thing. think the logic here is that part of the sale of, headphones has to do with being able to who can present the most bass or you know you have to have some minimum amount of bass for people who like to pump dance music really loud in their headphones for example so they wanted to present a flat neutral presentation but at the same time they wanted to make this product available to the people who wanted that exaggerated bass boost that they're buying in other people's headphones and i won't mention any names but the point is this gives that this gives the thing more versatility in terms of the market, in terms of whom to whom you're directing the product. And yeah. in my own case, I tend to go for the flat pr presentation in almost everything I'm working on because it sounds right to me. Um, <laughs> but some people really like that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. The, the only thing that I will find is if you're wearing uh, a closed headphones and these ones which have a particularly tight seal, people go, Rich, hmm. Rich. And you just cannot hear anything kind of outside in the outside world very easily. That's the only thing. But that's the nature. But if I'm wearing my molded in ears, yeah. my ultimate ears, it's not like I can hear anybody from the outside either. <laughs> yeah. I, I always find I've, I've tried loads of headphones on a plane, and the only ones, the ones that I've found which I, I just can't rave about enough for flying are the, I've got the Bose in ear ones, the actual proper noise cancelling ones. Um, because it, it, it's just magic. It literally just shuts out everything. Right. It just goes totally silent. All the noise goes. In fact, sometimes I've, I've slept in, in hotel rooms. Oh. I sleep in them sometimes because it shuts out all the crap outside. Mm, then I... you get bored of them being stuck it right deep. Are they deep in here ones? No, uh, they don't they go just... deep, but they fit really well. Oh. And they just literally flick the switch and it goes... Shroom. Everything goes dead. I'm do I don't like noise cancelling ones because I'm very conscious of the fact that there is as much anti noise being pumped into my head as noise outside, and that overall SPL is high. And I sometimes feel like I've got there's like I'm sli having that slight sinus kind of uh, equalization the whole time. That's the thing I don't like about that sort of thing. But you know. well, I've, I've, I've had a few heads, but those ones. Sorry. It's flat. The noise, if, surely it's, uh, it's silence. Yeah, but it's antiphase, so it's still signal. It has to generate signal to... It's responding to the outside environment and creating anti-whatever is outside so that you're not hearing that. It's a, it's a phase thing, as I understand it. I may be incorrect. Yeah, but then it's going to be flat at, at the point where you're hearing it. It will be silent. Hmm. I mean, I guess there must be spikes in it. Very, very loud spikes. Yeah, you, hear a very, you hear a very low-level hiss in the background. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's my point. The amplifier's working so hard. <laughs> it's just this massive amount. Anyway, enough anyway, of that. Look, we've I got... Need to, I need to go and get mine now. You've got me all excited. Uh, I've got to go and open the box. I oh, you've, they've arrived. Are they? Okay, all right. Well, we're going to... Um, I think... Um, gosh, it's nearly 20 past... I mean, obviously... This is the pre-Messer show, uh, um, show yeah. as it is. Uh, another fine Messer, as I'm often um, often want to say at this time of year. And obviously, the big thing that's happening at the moment is, you know, we've got teasers, we've got all this sort of thing. But the, probably the biggest one that's come out has got to be the um, Roland Ira definitely go, goes modular. I did post something uh, last week where there was a sort of intimation of it, and it looks like uh, this is from their website. And this looks like, to me, um, sort of Eurorack-style form factors. Uh, that top thing looks a little bit like it could be a System 1 sort of layout. And presumably, if it's going to go in some kind of rack, it must have some kind of CV-type capabilities. Presumably, otherwise, what would be the point in putting it in a Eurorack, I suppose? But this could be quite in- interesting. Um, I don't know. Did you get to see that, Robbie? Did you did, did this? Because it only, it only ha- came out this I morning. Ha- I, have, I have seen. I have. I have. I have seen bits and bobs. Right, okay. Uh, well, yeah. fair enough. But yeah. it's a kind of yeah. it, it's an exciting possibility. I mean, to, to be honest, there is disclosure. Uh, I mean, you know, probably myself and Robbie are both under some form of NDA with various manufacturers. Roland could possibly be one of them, uh, but it can't can't really say much more. But the point is that with Mesa coming, you know, there's all of this stuff coming along. But the, the other thing that's going to be shown, which we do know about and we can probably talk about, is the JDXA, uh, which is. Uh, according to Roland's going to be uh, is the plan is it for it to be uh, their sort of new flagship synthesizer this is the crossover I've just done the uh, if I play this this is a um, this was actually uh, filmed at the NAM press conference by uh, let's see Synthbug and this is Global Roland Group we will unleash our potential the power let me and just fast forward it. So, uh, talking about the crossover synth, and you know, they want this to the be GDXA. the new flagship. New flagship synthesizer with a very unique Fragile. crossover synthesizer concept. Truly integrated. And this is kind of moving on from the notion of the JDXI, which I just reviewed. We talked about it last week, which has a very limited analog voice. But I think the, the idea with the XA is that's going to be massively expanded, at least as I understand it. And I, I don't actually know that much more about it. I think there's various bits of information about it, possibly having four analog voices or four oscillators. I'm not sure which is, but that's going to be another interesting move. I mean, it looks like Mesa might well be the Roland show this year, which is, I mean, in terms of what's been going on, say, the last, I don't know, maybe eight, seven, eight years, that's got to be a first. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, I'm hoping that that's going to be the case. Um, I I think they just, I mean, it's just, it, it is kind of like, you almost feel like there might be a sort of another sort of golden period for Roland, don't you? Mm. In a way, kind of, because it, it just seems like there's been a massive shake-up in the company, and now, and now they're just ready to kind of just unleash a kind of whole barrage of things to us that have kind of been sort of ideas that have been stockpiling for a while. Yeah, I mean, you may well be right. I mean, and also, I think that there was a post, uh, Schneider's Barrow, who are traditionally the sort of big local synthesizer distributor who, who uh, exhibit a mess, and they bring all of the little modular guys together. Their booth, there's a bit on the booth with an arrow that's saying uh, Corridor to Roland. So I'm guessing that, you know, I don't know whether that means there's some interfacing or just the Roland booth is just across the way. I don't know which it is, but all of these little kind of clues and hints are kind of quite interesting. 
Um, and so that's going to be something that are going to be looking forward to. I know, uh, Mark, have you... Uh, Mesa is traditionally not actually so big for new gear, but it looks like this year, I think there may be sort of a number of things um, coming out. I mean, anything that you've spotted that you're particularly thrilled about? Uh... No. Ah, okay. <laughs> but I. But you, now you're saying about the system one. I'm frantically googling because I'm like going. Oh, actually, that sounds like they've actually done what they said they were going to do, which would be brilliant, rather than making another box that will hold a door open for me, which I won't go on about. But well, that's um, that, that's the that's the image I, that was. Where posted. are you finding this? Where are you um, finding that I'm trying to think. Well, it was it was sent in by one of our uh, fabulous scouting team. I think it was. Uh, it was uh, Synth Jam who sent this in, and I think it was on an official Roland. Yeah, it's on an official sort of Roland site. I, I can't tell you where where that is, but I'm sure if you see, I think maybe the Roland Ira site, possibly that might you know, be where I it mean, is. If I could have a thing like a keyboardy kind of thing that I could do all my own patching in, and then put it under my arm, and it would remember all the weird stuff I'd done, and all of the knobs would do what I wanted them to do when I got to the place I wanted to show everybody what a strange and wacky chap i was <laughs> with these weird noises that i was making um what a hit that would are. be that would be very very good indeed um you know if it's complete if it can get if it can get that whole idea of like kind of spaghetti connectivity into something that can you know well that that's and an i know there's things that can do it but i just I, I, you know the nord modular was my kind of favorite thing ever um but if Roland bring a very, very up-to-date kind of new way of doing something like that, I'd, I would be buy it. I mean, I'd definitely buy it, especially as the price has just dropped on the on the the system ones, kind of. Yes, it has. Suddenly, they got just, quite they... a lot cheaper. Yeah, they've done mm, a price drop. That's so. interesting. I mean, this looks like. I mean, from what I can see, obviously, this is. I'm guessing these are Eurorack sizes, and then there are these four mystery models down there. I mean, what would be really cool is obviously if there's some way of incorporating patching information into those two but while retaining the spirit of the whole notion of modular and that side of things i think that could be quite interesting for sure i mean i think the the, the what they've got to do is they've got to make it so that there's interoperability with the software so that it they don't they some they somehow need to make it so that if you bought a system one, you could kind of run some of the a, a, a limited version of the 808 or the 707 or all that all that stuff. And the same with this, if they bring this thing out, then there needs to be some kind of interoperability. In the same way that if I have a computer, I can run loads of plugins. If they're doing plugouts, the plugouts should run in the different systems as well. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, or even limited version, and if I had a limited version of the 808, if I bought a System 1 and I had a limited version of the 808 in there, and then I went, oh, God, this sounds really good, then I'd go and buy one. So you could almost make it like a, a, an entry level into, um, you know, buying the other pieces of hardware, but some of that functionality or a non-editable version of that functionality, because the... Because the actual physical chip that it's running on has got to be the same, right? Well, that's, so, that's quite possible. I guess the only thing that you would have there, you have issues with the one-for-one the -one control stuff and that sort of things. Um, yeah, well that, well, that would be where you would have the limited, yeah. op, uh, the limited operability. Hmm. Now, that's very true. I know, Rich, um, mess are coming up. I mean, obviously, we're, some of us are in sort of the situation where we kind of know a little bit about what might be coming down the right line from other people. But, I mean, is there any, anything that you'd like to see there that you're hoping that somebody's going to release that you'll go, yeah, that, that's what we need right now? I mean, have you had the opportunity for that to, 
to, to enter enter your consciousness. I guess you've been on the road a lot, so you might not have had an awful lot of time to think about it, but as you flew over Frankfurt. Well, um, the, uh, tool, the available tools already exceed my expectation. So everything I that see, comes yeah. out now is gravy to me. <laughs> I, I see and good saying. gravy. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm just as excited as everybody else. But uh, like I kind of stand on the sidelines and watch with fascination as people embrace, for example, analog modular gear or um, whatever's coming next in this sort of crossover musical instrument world, where they're limiting feature sets on the panel in order to appeal to a sort of a crossover DJ music maker market like it's it, the sands are shifting in what is music making and so are the instruments and the way people are trying to address the perceived need and so it's interesting for me to watch that play out so i kind of have this sort of spectator view but uh there's nothing i'm sitting here going oh please you know mrs potato head mrs potato head i'm not doing that it's interesting you say that i mean because i i recall back i mean i think probably the biggest thing that ever happened at Mesa was uh, I don't know if you remember, we talked back we look back at to what uh, the Melodynes were unveiled there and those were real game changing kind of technologies across the board for music production and a real sort of wow that's amazing what you can do you know and also useful I mean and I'm guessing you know that that's the sort of I guess that's the sort of thing that's likely to to kind of get be the sort of thing that you kind of would immediately be wanting to use and we've seen quantum improvements in the last five years or so in analysis techniques that led to some of the things that isotope is doing with rx and with the iris synthesizer in terms of presenting the analyzed files in a new way that enables you to access the harmonics in a different kind of graphic environment um and also in terms of rx it allows you to do things that just six years ago were conversationally acknowledged to be impossible to do you know removing the siren as it's driving by the interviewer on the street or what have you you yeah, know yeah, so yeah. like we've entered into a world now where things are possible that just recently were considered understood and accepted to be impossible so i look forward to more of that you know removing reverbs you know the de-reverb algorithms that are that enable you to take a guy in a church and make him sound like he's got a close mic in front of his face these are some pretty amazing things and uh and they exceed anything i was sitting here dreaming about so i look forward to people continuing to blow my mind it's interesting yeah that that whole kind of notion of being able to fix things that you know were considered broken before and meant a kind of a reshoot or a re-recording or whatever yeah that's good that's a very good point um that's interesting. You mentioned Isotope there because it's probably a good time to bring uh, that message from our sponsors. Thank you very much for that, Rich. So if I play this, uh, obviously, you know, Isotope are sponsor of the show. I want to tell you a little bit about Iris 2. Uh, Iris 2 comes with an 11 gigabyte sound library, sample library now, which has uh, sort of amalgamated all the individual libraries that you could buy for the original Iris. It's also got a whole bunch of really high quality analog wave samples. We've got intuitive spectral selection tools, isolate specific audio frequencies using the spectral audio uh, technology from RX. We've also got a multi-mode filter, uh, which actually sounds really good. I mean, some of the sounds here, uh, I don't know if you'll be able to hear them if I might turn that up a little bit, just sound really sort of beautiful and have a certain kind of quality to them. We've also got uh, multiple modulation systems. So we've got, uh, f I think it's five LFOs five ADSRs plus a whole bunch of macro controls and all of these are uh, mappable in fact if you're watching the video version of this you'll be able to see the sort of modulation 
visualizations that are going on there. Um, we've also got um, there's over a hu- over a hundred of those. Uh, anyway, I, I've talked too much and the ads run out. But if you want to check out Iris too, go to isotope.com forward slash Iris. You can get a ten day free download uh, version where you can get all of the stuff. You're not going to get all of the sounds, but you can certainly check out the interface and uh, it's a time limited demo. And then uh, buy as you see fit. But while we're here, we've also got uh, last week we ran a competition and uh, the winner of last week's show. Uh, we asked you to tweet uh, Isotope apps the hashtag sound painting. Uh, to at Isotope Inc. and at Sonic State. And the winner is The Shaggy Freak, who I, I'm sure I've seen him in the chat room a bunch of times, and I'm, and I'm pleased to see that he's actually won something. His Twitter handle is at The Shaggy Freak. So if you get in touch with us, the Isotope Fairy will get onto you and uh, send you a copy of Iris 2 into your inbox. So uh, your tweet actually said, thanks for everything that you guys do. Right now. now. Oh, well, brilliant. Now brilliant. give me some free stuff. Here we go. It's a... Uh, Yay, Shaggy won! Hooray! I'm glad to hear it. That's excellent. So um, please do uh, let us know um, your email address and we will send it on to the Isotope Fairy and she'll pass it on. Uh, also, we've got another competition which we can uh, run this week. In fact, if you want to win a copy, uh, it won't be next week, but it'll be the week after where we announce the winner. Uh, you have to do this. You need to be on Twitter. So you need to twit- tweet the hashtag. I just figured I'd go for win iris two because it's just pretty self-explanatory then. And frankly, I was running out of, uh, of phrases to put there, so I thought I'd just go for the root one. So tweet win iris two to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. Uh, obviously, you've got more. Um, uh, you have more uh, characters that you can fill it in. In fact, last week um, I, I did see one go past, which I should have made a note of who it was, and it was uh, it was a knock knock joke. It came uh, knock knock. Who's there? Iris who? Uh, Iris. Iris who? Iris too. Iris due in the name of the law, which I thought was a fantastic knock-knock joke and also very topical. I don't know if I told it right. So anyway, back to that. Hashtag win Iris two, all one word, uh, the number two, at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. So thanks again. We thank them for their continued sponsorship of the show. Let me see what else have we got. Um, ah, yes, this is this is also, uh, I mean, in the it, obviously, you know, the last maybe 12 months, there's been a lot of uh, reissues and reimaginings of various synthesizers. And there has been talk because uh, Gem uh, has come back online and uh, they've basically brought, there's a website called bringelkaback.com and this is uh, the notion they want to try and bring back the Elka Synthex. And this is, uh, this was the factory in Italy, which was massive. Uh, it's owned by some uh, by a Finnish company, I believe. Um, and um, there's various kind of superlative descriptions of the Elka Synthex. Elka Synthex, of course, was used by quite a lot of kind of high-end uh, musicians of the time, m- most notably Jean-Michel Jarre. Um, I'm thinking that what it says here, the Elka Synthex synthesizer will be made and selected with selected original vintage parts in Salo, Finland, and can now be part of its return. So you could sign up and say, yes, I'm interested. Interesting notion. Uh, if you needed uh, perhaps a... Uh, uh, a a taster of what that sounds like. I found this video by a chap called JMP Synth, and this is a. I think I might have played this on a previous um, Sonic Talk. This is a, a demo a demo track made with purely Elka Synthetics. I think it does have a polyphonic sequencer in it as well, so you can do a lot of really interesting stuff. So this is kind of big news. The only thing that I thought. Uh, well, anyway, I don't know what you think. Robbie, I mean, you're a fan of... 
the analog polysynths, yeah. are you thinking, uh-huh. hmm, or are you thinking there's no way I'm going to be able to afford this? Because it, uh, it was expensive. It's the, classic, it's, the, it's the classic Jean-Michel Jarre laser harp sound, isn't it? I mean, that's one of its famous, famous things. There now, now, there now, now. Anyway, besides the point. Um, uh, I am quite excited, but when, it, when they say made with old parts, you just know that if you buy selected. something like that, selected old parts, and you're just you're still in the same boat as somebody who's trying to keep one of those old ones going, that are basically, it's basically you're taking on like a, a responsibility, like a child for a long time. <laughs> you know, the, the thing that appeals to me about companies like um, Dave Smith is if you go out and buy something like the, you know, the prof, you know, the new profit, at least you know that you've got the support structure in there for a long time to come for that instrument to, to be giving you years and years of service. Uh, that's what worries me about, you know, make, making these colossal investments in old instruments or indeed like these reissues of old instruments. I guess that's just the practicality, yeah. the practical side of me talking. An Elker sure is not yes, just an Elker Elk- Elk- is not just for Christmas; it's for life. Yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Who> <laughs> I reckon it's going to be. I'm guessing because they were going secondhand for about eight grand. So I'm. Reckoning- and you should say that there's one actually on eBay at the moment, uh, which is a buy it now price of ten thousand bucks, which does look okay, in very, very, very good condition. But nonetheless, I reckon it's going to be. It's going to be at least sort of. It's going to be about ten grand, isn't it? You at think least. so? That'd be interesting because I worked out in in today's money, it was two and a half thousand pounds back in the mid eighties, and it's probably uh, which which uh, now translates to round about. I, I found a site where you could work out inflation about seven thousand three hundred. Right. I don't know. I, d- I mean, I guess it's if you're going to buy if you if you're in the market to buy something like a Jupiter Eight or a or something like that, or even plumping for a CS eighty, then the idea of getting one that's factory fresh. And new, I guess, is is really appealing. I mean, it's it doesn't quite hold the same excitement to me as getting my hands on the profit because it because the profit is like an old instrument slightly reimagined. Right. But I, I can imagine if you've hankered after this instrument and you've got that kind of money, then you're going to be very very happy. Yeah, maybe so. I I don't know. Um, Rich, I know that, you know that, that there is this kind of. Uh, trend at the moment i mean it almost feels like is this is this one step too far because as robbie said you know essentially if it's new for old parts then essentially aren't you just buying something that's going to be just as difficult to maintain and keep going as anything else unless they've you know changed the design in some way oh i think you might be muted there rich to the extent that it's driven by genuine passion and romance i uh appreciate the fact that people want to do these things um the extent to which it's marketable is a question but i don't think that's a primary concern of the people who were doing these things i'm sure korg wanted to know for example that they weren't going to end up with a warehouse full of little odysseys that they couldn't sell above and beyond whatever the basic number was that they were going to produce so they didn't go ahead and manufacture fifty thousand of them they made them in small it's either one small run or it will be small runs um so when you f- tell me there's a guy in Finland, I think it was, who wants to rebuild the Elka line, well, okay. I mean, it means more to him than it meant to me at the time or even now, but that's cool. I mean, there's probably a bunch of people who are really chomping at the bit for this sort of thing, and that's cool. I think it's, you know, I'm I'm cool with all of that. Happy for them. <laughs> I'm happy for you, yeah. I understand what you're saying there, Mark. Mark, I don't know if you saw the April Fool last week. Uh, somebody put a... Um, 
a joke up that there was an a Jupiter Eight Mini, and in fact, I think they used a picture of me, a picture of me um, in a Sonic Lab kind of pose, playing a synthesizer, and obviously superimposed some kind of uh, Jupiter Eight um, panel on the synth I was demonstrating. But also, there was a video um, of you know like a move across the panel, so it almost looked real. I mean, this kind wow. of fall, does it? It falls in the same kind of category. I mean, an Elka Synthex uh, Jupiter Eight. They're in similar price brackets, aren't they? I mean, they're but how desirable is it? How desirable is it? When I did the, the Welcome to the Monkey House album, uh, Nick Rhodes bought one of these from the Femia, the vintage auction. He didn't pay anything near £8,000 for it. Um, and it's, oh, I don't know, it's marginally different than a Jupiter 8 or marginally different than a memory Moog. It all... The, you know, the, the, the characteristics of the filters is slightly different. The characteristics of the envelopes is slightly different. The characteristics of the LFOs and the routing, it's all very, very, very slightly different. So uh, I, I don't see it being an eight grand leap to it being eight grand's worth of difference, if that makes any sense. I see it being like, you know, maybe I could get that same sound by just tweaking an EQ a little bit or something. Right. It's it's just not, it's not different enough or it doesn't do something enough differently to make it worth eight grand. It just doesn't. Um, so I don't see the point of it. And it's this, this whole crazy notion we've got to recreate all these things. So... I mean, you're saying about, uh, you know, they're joking about recreating a, a miniature Jupiter A, but what about this, this this ZX Spectrum thing that, that somebody's in the middle of recreating? <laughs> it's done. It's why, done. Do we, why? Why are we yeah, doing but, that? But, but it's so not a ZX play... Spectrum, is it? It's a ZX Spectrum that's got a thousand of the best-loved ZX Spectrum games built in. So people, well, are buying, people are buying that purely for nostalgia to play Chucky Egg or Jetpack Jack or whatever they want to play. You know, it's, it's and it's 120 okay. quid. It's like a, it's like an impulse. I'm going to buy that for a few weeks worth of fun with the family. It is a few but, weeks but, worth of fun. Yeah, it's a few weeks yeah. worth of fun. So maybe this Elka is a few weeks worth of fun as well, but it's going to cost eight grand. And it's like you know, I mean, to be honest, Nick's Elka sat in the corner of the studio. I think it ended up with one broken voice, and we had that fixed. And then while it was away being fixed, we just got into using the Prophet or the Moog or whatever else. Moog, sorry, Moog. Uh, and and when it came back from being fixed, nobody sort of thought, oh, God, we've got to turn it on because it's back. It just kind of sat there doing not very much. And occasionally, when we couldn't think of anything to do or we couldn't find the right sound for something, we'd turn it on in the in the kind of vain hope that it might provide us with the answer to what was missing for that song. And it didn't really particularly. It sounds it sounds microscopically different to some of the other synths he's got. And then maybe the the Elise's Andromeda sounds wildly different because they've put quite a lot of different routing options in there. So I, I'm with you, Robbie. I want to buy the profit. I think that um you know, over the years, he's taken the concept of the Profit Five, and he's thought, "What can I, what can I do to that to make to bring that into into this century, and to kind of create some options for musicians that will make them be, you know, give give them something." Again, it's marginally different, but it's more. It's there's a better value for money price point on the Profit than there is on this Elka thing. I don't want I one. Think, there you yeah, go. I think it would be. It's it gone would, in room one hundred and one for me. <laughs> 
it wouldn't be quite so polaroid polarized if you didn't have companies like dave smith making a essentially a, a no there's no compromises with that instrument it's not a compromised instrument no. made the instrument he wants to make and it's going to come in at under three thousand pounds you know yeah. and i think that's a fair price to pay for a lovely engineered well-built instrument that takes all the best of the heritage and and like mark says builds on it a bit the the, the market for for paying 10 grand for something like this is purely is purely collectors and people who are just kind of yeah well, i mean it's the same it's that. the same kind of people that would pay 10 grand for a record deck with a platinum platter or something because they Maybe think so. we we should say at this point we don't know how it, much we should say at this point we don't no. know how much it's going to be you know yeah. well, we found one on ebay for ten thousand dollars and that's about it you know there's no there's, i mean they'd be crazy i think probably to make something that would cost significantly more than the top end of what is currently available with today's technology you know it might be a bit more but it's be it would be crazy to kind of go into the over five grand kind of pounds mark uh, but and i don't know and i guess the disadvantage is also this is a European manufacturer, so in terms of sales into the states, there's going to be a premium, and you know, with the, with with the dollar rate and what have you, it all kind yeah. of just starts to get a little bit complex. Uh, you have to you also have to compare that to it, that model doesn't work if you look at with what Moog have just done because obviously there are there are modular synths as like the one Dave's got, Dave Spears, which are comparable to a to a large scale five U format, you know, Moog modular. Yet when they've reissued the actual Moog modulars, the price point is like in the stratosphere. It's not comparable to other instruments that provide the same kind of functionality. So you are paying very much for the pedigree. Mm, yeah, very much so. Okay, well, maybe back to this century. And uh, this was something that you found, Rich, which looks, I must say, looked really, really interesting. This is the uh, FabFilter Pro. Hi, and welcome Q, to this introduction Q, to Pro Q version 2. A major new update for FabFilter's famous EQ plugin. With unique features like slope control for all filter types, spectrum grab, and the new natural phase processing mode. Plus many smaller refinements such as gain cue interaction, or automatic makeup gain. A range of different interface sizes to choose from or even full screen mode to use the full resolution of your largest monitor for super fine editing. I won't show the whole thing, but I watched, I watched the whole thing and I just thought, wow, that is one serious looking EQ right there. And I just thought that was absolutely, you know, if I was in the market for a, a dedicated EQ, some of the stuff that, that, that appears to do, that I really like the way that you could watch the spectrum and then just grab a point in the spectrum and go, I want an EQ point here and tinker with it. I mean, that's the sort of thing. I mean, Rich, you're nodding that there. I mean, this, this is the sort of thing, if you're working in a, a production environment, that just looks pretty damn fine to me. Have you got any of their other stuff? I don't even have this one. I just saw it and thought it looked really cool. And uh, then I saw that bit about superimposing the analysis onto the EQ screen and enable you to grab analysis points and affect the EQ by it. And then I saw EQ matching, which is incredibly useful to people who end up punching in live performances to stuff that was recorded some other time earlier, where you, if you can actually match them. I mean, I can do it by ear, and I've done it by ear for years, but it's very cool that this does it for you. It just it has a ton of really cool features, and the people I know who have it rave about it. 
So I thought it was worthy of our attention because it sort of takes your normal equalizer and then, you know, your on-screen equalizer to a kind of different level and adds some very, very innovative stuff. Yeah, it does look really good. I know, Robbie, you're kind of a fan of certain plugins, you know, really kind of like tools in your arsenal that you really kind of use a lot. Uh, are these guys, have you got any of their other stuff? Or I've have got you- the Volcano too. I mean, they're one of these companies I I wish I'd kind of, you, when you get to a certain point and you've bought, you've invested in a lot of like quality, like EQs and all this kind of thing. I kind of I kind of got to the point where I said, I'm not buying any more IQ, EQs. I'm not buying any more compressors. Those kind of things, I've just got just so many of them, so many different flavors and linear phase ones and dynamic EQs, all this stuff. Um, but having said that, 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 that facility where you could see the, you know, the histogram and you could then just take out points directly from seeing that, that's a really neat feature. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're a company, I think if I hadn't started investing in other companies sooner, I would have probably, they're, they're, they've got a lot of plugins I look at and think they look really, really good plugins. That I would probably invest in. Yeah, I mean, it's not the the. I mean, it's about 115 quid for the whole thing, but there's various different bundles uh, that you can get and what have you. Uh, so you can buy a whole bunch of their things, but they just they do look. I mean, it looks to me like the sort of innovations that we're going to start seeing other people slot into their own plugins. You know, I mean, just just by the very nature of the way that these things go. I know, Mark, I mean, in terms of EQ, I know probably more, um, much like I do, you just use what you're given in the, the DAW that you're currently using. Or do you have any EQs that you take with you across to other plugins, to other uh, doors in um, forms of plugins? I'm a massive fan of EQ matching. I really am. I've got three different flavors of it. Um, uh, one of those is cross-platform. So there's the EQ matching in Logic. Uh, there's the EQ matching in Isotope. And then I also bought the Voxengo EQ matching thing. And I just like pointing microphones at things and working out what they're doing and being able to see the curve come up. But none of those EQ matchings really allow you to go in there and tweak things in the way that I want to tweak things afterwards. So I tend to use, uh, I tend to use EQ matching when I've figured out what the eq matches then i might use q clone waves q clone i like that as well because you can then stack eq you can add eqs together in there in other words you can take uh, one cloned eq and then add another one to it and it will adjust the curve if that makes any sense right. so you can so you can keep adding so you can sort of do it but you can't do it by grabbing things and moving them around in quite the way i want and you can sort of do it in voxengo as well but i mean if it could if it can if I can EQ match and then see the curve and then drop a new instance of an EQ in and then pull a filter to like change something, then I could see that it would be useful. So maybe I need to download the demo and play with it. Mm, uh, um, um, Sonic 6795 uh, says, this EQ is the only thing I use. Everything else feels like banging rocks together, no way back. And that's quite, you know, I mean, I, I can understand how oh, that's that might interesting. be the case. Yeah. Because um, I mean, the, the, wow. the, the, Son- yeah. the Sonox suppressor, which is great for DSing and stuff, that has that facility where you see the kind of histogram bit behind, and then you can see exactly whether you need to DS or whatever, and you can then just narrow the bands right in and get to it. It seems like a really sensible idea that you could actually, like, like it says, just grab the actual, you know, the points without having to do like narrow cues and boosting to try and find the frequencies and then cutting. It seems like you kind of take that stage out by being able to do that, which I think sounds great. Yeah. I might well I might well break my rule and check that out. <laughs> Uh-oh. 
<laughs> so, Rich, what I mean, do you do you have a specific kind of EQ set that you tend to use? You know, I mean, within your working environment, outside of the the stuff that comes with. I mean, obviously, you use Pro Tools a lot in your in your production work, um, just by its very nature. I mean, what are you? I know you're a big fan of Fermat DSP. Um, yes, is that the kind of EQ side of things that you tend to use? Quite often. But lately, I'll grab that. I'll grab um, maybe a UA emulation. Uh, even Waves' API uh, emulation isn't bad for certain broad kinds of things where you need to boost, where it's not surgical, but you're looking for a sort of generalized hump in the EQ somewhere or a cut or, you know, a little bit of a divot being dug out. Yeah, like it, the API is good for that sort of thing. Um, I've used um, Isotope stuff lately because I think it's really cool and sort of surgical, but cool and works well. Um, so what, you know, yeah. it's funny in my life it, at this point, the most important thing to me is changing up the way I do things all the time. I like to keep changing the way I do things because it keeps me, fresh as an engineer and as a thinking musician and it also points up to me after i'm done that my stuff still sounds like me no matter how many different ways i find trying to make it <laughs> to, to, to do stuff yeah, i yeah. can play stuff i did 30 years ago and there's some element of it that still sounds like what i do today because you bring a personal aesthetic to the process that should translate through whatever you know toys you choose to use and so uh yeah, I have so many cool toys to choose from. It's an embarrassment of riches, and I never have any trouble finding something cool. And any one of them would probably do 90% of what I need to do. Mm, that's interesting. I mean, I think the one thing I did, another feature that I saw in this is it's got that tilt, which was something that you used to see in quad amps. Um, yeah. Which, but you can change the tilt point so it would tilt around the, a certain frequency and also change the tilt curve and that allows you to kind of change the flavor of a mix in sort of broad yeah. terms and that looked really interesting i don't know if i've yeah. seen the tilt on anything as, as am i sound yeah. hack sound, sound hack. hack has got the tilt in some of the plugins which is, and it is massively useful actually yeah it's sort well, of like fact, it's like adjusting the tape bias isn't it really i suppose uh yeah no i suppose bit. so yeah yeah i love the tilt i love the um uh, the fun, talking about Melodyne, that's one of the features I use most is when you, you've got the tilt where you can choose if you've got something that may be slightly sour or sharp at either end, you can kind of move the middle point to kind of find a sort of a happy medium with things. Seesaw, it should be called. Then, yeah, 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 seesaw, you know, so you can get the pitch. If it's sharp at one end and flat at the other, you can kind of move it to find find a point in the middle that works well. Where it approximates. So that's an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it looks like a really cool idea, uh, thing. If you want to find it more, uh, fabfilter.com uh, products is ProQ2 Equalizer plugin. And yeah, nice spot there, Rich. I mean, it looks like a really cool um, EQ. Uh, I know if uh, Gaz was, because Gaz is a big fan of EQ, he'd probably be out there pressing the button, I'd imagine, because uh, that's something that I know he really digs. So, But anyway, um, that's that topic as well. Gosh, we're flying through them. Um um, oh, yes. What about this new stems uh, format from Native Instruments? I think I've got a video of that somewhere. Hey, DJ Tech Tools. Today I am super excited. This is on DJ Tech Tools, and um, this guy's telling us a little bit about the stems format. Uh, it's called Stems, and it's a new file format that Native Instruments has just released, which allows you to manipulate music the traditional way. This is very exciting because it allows you to play a traditional file in a traditional deck, do things like loop, sync, and filter, but it gives you a multi-stem format 
to break the song down into different parts. And uh, this is very much from a DJ point of view, and uh, obviously, yeah. you know, that, so that, that has that particular... But in terms of a, a new format, it's quite interesting. I mean, it does have limitations. The one thing is that you can only do up to four stereo stems in it, I believe, and it's kind of a... It looks like an MP4 kind of wrapper, uh, and it only takes uh, MP3 input, so you can't, as far as I can tell at this point, you can't take... Uh, um, uh, like WAV files do 24-bit stems and use that to sort of send it out as a, as a stemmed version or a basic stem version. But it's something that could be, you know, if that gets adopted, it's actually going to be really, it's going to be very, very useful for things like playback and TVs and, you know, where you have to sync or where you don't sync, where you've got the vocals live, where blah, blah, blah. You can take various elements out of it. I know, Rich, I mean, I'm guessing, you know, you've been doing a bunch of promo stuff for the Chic thing. And I'm sure, you know, sometimes if, if Niall's got to go and do a TV thing, you know, the whole band can't make it. So there may well be various different configurations of the single that you have to kind of create that will fit all of those purposes. I mean, does this have uh, any kind of use in your world, do you think? Oh. Sorry about that. Um, it might. It very well could. Um, it's interesting to me to watch tractor behavior referred to as a traditional way of working. <laughs> um, I find that quite amusing. But uh, other than that... Yeah, this seems like another way of facilitating using bits and bobs of other people's work together in order to create something new. It's uh, the other thing. I guess the other thing that'd be interesting is you know it doesn't look like uh, for this point anyway. You can maybe root the stems out to different places. I mean, you've still kind of go down down the stereo mix. I know, Robbie, is there? A, can you see any uses for you there? I mean, I could imagine you know if you were using maybe multi-track clips in Ableton, it might. That's what we do anyway. That's what we do. That's what we've been doing for years. That's how that's how we run the show, and we can take in if we got drum, we've got our drummer. We can take the drum drums out, or if we haven't got him, we can put the drums back in. All that stuff. We've been doing that for years. I think that probably the, the the biggest market for it is is for DJs who want to just get a little bit more under the bonnet of some of the tracks that they're playing out instead of just doing high cut cuts and all that and extreme filtering to try and drop the kick drum out and stuff. They can just get a little bit more under the bonnet now, and I guess places like Beatport are now going to provide, if it's adopted, they're going to provide songs in, in either standard stereo version or in well, you, yeah. broken out stem version. I you can know, imagine for, that. I mean, if you, a bit if you, money. Yeah, exactly. It's, I guess, a new revenue stream, which is not necessarily yeah. a bad thing in these difficult times. I know, Mark, I mean, it's sad because, I mean, as we all know, you know, or often once you finish something, it's not usually finished. You've then got to explode it and reconfigure it in all sorts of different ways. I mean, this might be something that could be useful in that in that world if you're delivering a single file that is a, a standard format. Four pairs. Is that yeah, what you're that's saying? That's all there is, yeah. Which, well, but I suppose I suppose if you could pan them, then you could have eight monos or various configurations. It sounds of like it's sort of a wrapper for uh for Dolby HD then, because which is either 7.1 or 8 channels. So it must be some kind of a... They it, they must be uh, just reinterpreting it ever so slightly and calling it their own format, right? Yeah. Do you think? Because yeah. it's... Because how are you going to... Otherwise, how are you going to keep the frames of... If it's four MP3s, you've got to keep them all in sync with each other. They're sort of notoriously difficult to like if you've got mp3 loops it's really difficult to get a loop point on it because it's it's presumably it's got frames in it, right? you always end up with a, a glip or a blip or whatever so it's got um, embedded data hasn't it like loop points and stuff i guess like ableton does 
Ah, so you could write uh, oh, okay. temp tempo maps and things. Uh, the chat yeah, room, I, I'm um, guessing... I don't know. It's an interesting idea. It'd be interesting to see if it takes off. If it takes off, yeah, it could be kind of cool, couldn't it? And then it's... Uh, it gives us more to do in the studio in terms of having to mix stuff. You know, it's like well, no longer that. will we give you a stereo. We're going to have to really think about how people are going to interpret it when they're going to play it out live on on uh, on their decks or whatever, if they're going to have a multi-track version of it. There really is an appetite, though, for it, though, isn't there? People do like, I know from doing stuff with Howard, right. special edition things, and buying special editions from various artists, people people have an appetite to kind of get their hands a little bit under the bonnet if they can. So if artists yeah. provide stems, certain certain well, artists think, well, will, will garner people's interest because they'd like to see how the tracks were put together a little bit more. A bit like sort of behind the but, scenes. But, but also it opens a huge uh, kind of... Uh, area of uh, remixing for people who don't know how to use any of the technology that we know how to use. In other words, if somebody can just put on a track, they know that it's tempo mapped, so it's going to play in time. And they, they only want to hear the vocals, so they pull everything else out and they put on another track and they know that's tempo mapped, so they know that's going to play in time and the beats are going to sync up. They don't really have to do anything to make that happen. And then they press a couple of buttons and they've got the drums from one track, the bass line from another track, then the, the, the music from another track, yeah. or the melodies from another track, and then the vocals from another track, and then, boom, you know, suddenly music by numbers, they've created this remix. It's uh, it's as simple as pressing a handful of buttons, and, they, and, they, and they're doing it real time. That's the key. And then they're out in a club doing it, and somebody hears that as a mix, and it's like, wow, what was that? And it's like, sorry, you're never going to hear that again because the DJ just created it. Oh, let's get that DJ back. And then, you know, careers are made. As long as they, as long as they have a, an understanding of key relation, that's all. <laughs> oh, well, the software does already, though, doesn't it? Some yeah, of that I software guess. already does. The native instrument stuff's brilliant. I mean, I've fiddled around with the thing on the iPad, and I put mm -hmm. uh, Morecambe and Wise's Bring Me Sunshine over the top of uh, a couple of Acid House tracks and just created this weird thing. <laughs> it would have been nice if I could have pulled out, you know, maybe the horns in the middle. <laughs> Or the brass section, or something. I mean, it, it, I don't know. It, it does allow uh, people who don't necessarily have the technical know-how to do some of the things that we can do with Pro Tools or Logic or whatever, Cubase, whatever. Uh, access to doing creative things with it's you know they're getting some close to the raw building materials. It could be fun. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, could, I know, Rich, I think a new format is not, not to be, if it's taken on, I mean, it's, more sales, whatever. It's true that, to speak to Mark's point for a moment, please, it, it, it's true that they don't have the kind of skills we have in the linear uh, working world where we would go about creating that ourselves. But what they do bring to it is a skill where the central focus of their creative world is tractor or machine or some combination of those two or the, the moral equivalent in other companies' stuff. But the point is that they, they're creating from the ground up out of that world, whereas to, to us, that's something that sits on a table at the side that we use once in a while when we need to get an effect like that or something like that. that is the, that's yeah. like old MPC guys come yeah. you know 25 years later and now you've got these hardware driven interfaces that are the very very foundation of these people's creative world and out of which their whole quote unquote songwriting uh skill uh grows so they bring a completely different set of skills and a completely different approach and basis from from me 
and probably from you to some extent. And uh, yeah. and it makes me old on some level, uh, even though I kind of know what they're doing and I've played with these things and I can actually operate them to some degree, although not with any extreme degree of proficiency. But this whole montage creation world has just been a steady progression over the last 25 years to the point where now they're doing... So if they do have a horn lick from some other record that doesn't match the key center of this thing. They can shift pitch shift it on the on the tractor in real time or in or in yeah. machine in real time. They can do all yeah. of that stuff like right there. Yeah, I guess monta- montage montage is the word. Montage sums it up yeah. completely. That's it's a montage exactly world we live in now. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But I mean you go, then you get people like I mean even even DJ mixers are, are incredibly sophisticated now in what they can do. And you get an art. You get you get artists now who use like DJ mixers as part of a creative tool for live performance with electronics, because you can do all sorts of you know interesting looping and sampling and filtering and all sorts of stuff on them. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. we've done, we've uh, we've done that before, where we've seen a, a new controller that's come out for the DJ and gone. Actually, this is really cool stuff that would be great to apply to electronic music production. Uh, but it doesn't. John Hopkins. It doesn't like speak that, exactly to the language of you know, maybe live or the DAWs that so, we choose. It's geared more towards tractor or, or to whatever. I wonder well, if right. there's. They're, they're, wonder if there's you know actually a kind of a point at which there might be a crossover where we'll end up with the sort of a mini tractor or whatever kind of plug-in that we can run across buses or or, or that kind of thing, yeah, so that we can then back, start back on itself. Yeah, so that we can then start to incorporate that stuff. To a performance aspect of of that, of that side of things as well, and that that's you quite do, exciting. You do get, you, well, I mean, there's there's a, there's a level of that anyway, isn't there? Because if you buy complete, you get all the the tools, all the DJ centric kind of tractor based plugins, which people use in in hardware setups like machine and stuff. You get those as plugins to use within whatever you want, Logic or whatever. Hmm. So you know there is already cross pollination of seeing those kind of tools being available to use in that kind of way anyway. Yeah. Rich. And to their credit, Roland is directing their new product offerings towards this market well, of true. DJ MX1, creationists. Yeah. And uh, they did have that product, that mixer, yeah. I guess yeah. that's the one you're referring to, that was clocking with everything else and offered all of this stuff available, clocked and in real time, as part of the mixer environment. So uh, they kind of do... I can see where they're pointing and where they're kind of hoping this whole creative world is going, and I can see it sort of makes sense to me, and I'm interested to see them doing it, even as I dis- don't necessarily love some of the things they're doing, but I can see where they're pointing it. I suppose it's the, it's the, the, the notion of the real-time performance, which is kind of as a, as a recording engineer or as you know, recording with musicians, you want to capture the essence of that excitement or the, the, perf- the, the take that just has whatever it is that makes it special. And in the same way that, you know, when a DJ just kind of is on fire and is really rocking the floor and things happen, maybe try things that are a little bit more risky and they pull them off and it's like, wow, yeah. you know, and the, and the audience will respond to it in the same way. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really uh, much more of a sort of real-time type of uh, environment, which is, that's the thing that I found quite exciting about it. And particularly as, you know, I'm really interested at the moment in working in real-time to create music and then... I mean, it's partly because of my lack of time that I have available. It's like if I can create something that feels right and I've recorded it and there it is and it maybe drives a bit of post or some editing or some selection of takes, then I'm done. I'm not spending, you know, a long, long time on the, the minutiae of the production, which I, I, while I enjoy the process, I just don't have the same amount of time available to me to do that, I suppose. That's- I mean, the last question is, what differentiates it from every other version of Stem's 
related things? Is it just the fact that they're going to release stuff in that format or... Um, I, well, I think that it differentiates it in the fact that it's that Native Instruments DJ uh, uh, tap into the massive DJ market. So it, if they can create a format that becomes adopted, because I know that uh, um, Flack has uh, has had this. I'm, I'm, I've seen, I, I, don't, I don't have any experience of it, but I've heard that Flack has similar kind of uh, attributes that can be used, but it obviously hasn't been as widely adopted and maybe can't be played to the same degree from within these particular software suites. Right. Yeah, and I, th- I think the key thing is, isn't it, is that... It, there's, I think there's embedded, embedded data within these, these, these groupings of stems that allow them to mix and match with other things that choose to use that so same beat, format. That's the difference. Like so they're not just like a mapping and map. tempo map, mapping. Yeah, so all that stuff. It's being mapping able to take out all sections. transients and all that sort right. of stuff. Being able to get a section right. and put loop points in that you want to jump back to at all points and all that kind of thing. But so I'm, ge- think- I'm guessing there must be, you know, like, for instance, if you've got a stems mix, I mean, just under the hood, you know, the tempo mapping, you don't want that to happen on the vocal um, stem because there won't be enough reference points in it. You want it to work on the, either the representation of the whole mix or, the, you know, the drums mix or whatever mix. So there must be, when you're making it, you must, you know, there must be an element of like, well, I want this to be the thing that, you know, whatever it is that then decides what the tempo map and the transient map is, uses as its, as its master track, effectively. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so that in a sense starts to make it, uh, okay, well, it actually isn't quite so simple. It needs to be a bit more complicated and it needs to have a little bit more going into it, maybe. But then that forces everybody to, sorry, I was going to say that forces everybody to, to stick to this rigid four, four thing. Well, yeah. And then if, if, because if I gave a, say I gave a, a stem of a vocal to somebody and said, right, go away and play with that and come up with a remix. If somebody had never heard the original song, they'd put the vocal across the beat in a completely different way to the, to how it was originally sung or, or there's the potential to do that. And then there's a potential to create brand new worlds, brand new beats, brand new kind of ideas. Mm. If I give it to them and I say, here's a vocal for you to go away and do a remix, but it's, but, you know, despite the fact that there's like two seconds of silence before he goes, ah! or whatever he does, you know, like that's the beat and the software knows that's the beat. And it always places that vocal phrase over the beats in the same way that it happened on the record. And I think that's a bad idea because mm. I, I, I would like to think that people can take those things. You know, when we hear samples of things over things, they're quite often in completely the wrong place on the beat. Well, that's if what gives. That's what gives it, it to the create, original, create, and it what, gives yeah. it like this whole new. Yeah. Oh, that's Sorry, edgy, Rich, you edgy. Come... It takes it somewhere else. Rich. Well, I was just going to say, Tractor actually does almost all of that for you. It makes it. It, it knocks off the two seconds of silence. It put hits points along the way. It attempts to warp the thing for you and allows you to edit very easily and quickly how it's warping to the framework that you've decided upon and that framework doesn't have to be 4-4 and can be switched in and out of very quickly yeah so so that they they are already working at that this is sort of now creating i think the moral equivalent of what ableton calls this packs where you get these bundles of music that are pre-configured with all the points properly laid out and everything else and all you got to do is open this stuff up yeah. as library stuff insert it into your productions and it'll work with against everything you're already doing and against the, which they're already doing hmm. yeah no that's interesting i mean it, it's i guess it's just a whole new 
but that, that, but then again, you know, I mean, we've all probably worked on game audio or, or the times when you've got to create loops that work with each other and uh, will. Uh, we've talked about it before in terms of composition, uh, vertical. What's it called? Vertical integration. I forget the, the techniques that are used, and it's really, really hard to get your head around it. You know, and once you get your ear in and you know what you're doing, it's okay. But to begin with, it's actually quite difficult to produce for that kind of environment, I guess. So hmm. there will be skills required at some point that's in why, the chain. That's why they're hiring DJs. There'll <laughs> yeah, probably be them. some sort of SDK that you've got to. You've got to. There's there'll be some way of. Do you think there'll be some bit of software that you have to get to encode your own files in this new format? Uh, no, I, he does mention a little like there's a utility that you drop them into, but I, I haven't got the full details on that. I think that's going to be something that obviously we'll have to develop over time because people will, as they use this more and more, will kind of go, can it do this? Can it do this? Will it support that? Can we add this? You know, so that's going to, that presumably will develop over, over time. And there must be metadata that you want to put into those tracks like you can with MP3s, yeah. you know, which tell... The playback software. I mean, it will work. It'll it'll work better with some doors than others, won't it? Because uh, busing for multiple outputs in Ableton is pretty much non-existent, whereas busing for seven point one in Logic is absolutely excellent. So, uh, if you had a a master plugin that you just dropped in and went, when I mix this, some of these things are going to go to this stem, and other things will go to this stem, and so on and so forth. You could do that in Logic with, you know, just one drag and drop. But that's in, an interesting idea. Uh, Ableton, not so easy. Pro yeah. Tools, probably fairly easy. Uh, I don't know about Cubase because I don't really use it anymore. But yeah, no, uh, I think it's got. Well, that's a, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, it's always nice to see. You know, I mean, as as we've seen paradigm shifts in sort of formats, we haven't really had that all much much changing. You know, so the MP3 has probably been the biggest milestone in terms of you know influence and impact it's had in the world uh, and in terms of music. But more at the point of delivery, at the point of creation, it's uh, we haven't. Ha- I mean, I guess elastic audio and that kind of thing, and the way that you know tempo mapping and transients is probably the clearest thing. But that's a sort of an external thing. It's not to do with the actual file itself. So could be the signal of something new because you could imagine you know if this if that if this gets taken and run with then you know its capabilities could well um make a big difference to what you know we do behind the scenes for all of us yeah i think four stereo pairs is a huge limitation i i did see in the chat room um somebody said eight but that might have been eight monos i don't know i mean we need to know find out more information about this like say this could be this could be this could be revision one and like you say if it gets adopted it could be expanded it could be an I need 10, 10, 10 stems for a master, I think. Okay. Really, 10 would work. So 20 tracks, that would work. I'm sure it's possible. I, mean, I remember in QuickTime, you used to be able to add audio tracks, add infinitum, um, before they hid it all behind uh, QuickTime X, which is, you know, now you can't even export stuff or do anything with it, really. And I don't know what it is that you can use these days, because I think QuickTime, this is getting a bit nerdy, but, but QuickTime Pro 7 was the last iteration yeah. of QuickTime that you could then export or drag files in and add them still up. Runs. And... It still runs on my machine, though, QuickTime Pro 7. It's, uh, you, can, you can drag it out of your old Snow Leopard system and put it onto onto Yosemite and it still runs. Oh, I haven't, try, I, haven't try, I haven't tried it for a while. I mean, I've had it and I've bought the QuickTime Pro upgrade. I don't know how many machine iterations I've had or OS oh, iterations. God, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they've had, they've had more than enough money out of me for that just a quick time but it's, it's certainly useful for some things 
Right, well, I mean, that feels like a good time to stop. Uh, as we say, you know, Music Mesa is coming up next week. Uh, we're going to be starting our... We're going to be landing uh, on Tuesday, uh, the 14th. The show starts on the 15th. We've got a few exclusives lined up already, so there will be... We're taking a full team, so there's going to be a heck of a lot of video coming out. And I can tell you now, Roland, we will be heading to as soon as we possibly can to try and get, you know, the skinny on what is this new stuff and get the details out to you, as well as various other manufacturers. There are a lot of other things going on there as well which I think um, people were going to be interested in and as ever you know just send in details tweet us Facebook us all of those things and we'll keep an eye on it and if there's anything that you want us to see or questions you want us to ask we'll do our best to do it we are um changing our rigs up a little bit this time so we'll hopefully have a bit more flexibility in terms of what we can produce and I've got a couple of other um, going to do some interviews with a few modular manufacturers and there's going to be a lot of uh, hopefully a lot of content outside of just uh, new products so uh, stay tuned for that and uh, really um, you know it's it's going to be an exciting show I think so I want to say thank you to all of the guys here for joining us this week and also very much to the chat room as well we got a whole bunch of people in the chat room I think it was a it was a, a bumper week. I'm not going to say... Well, I've said it. I'll say it anyway. Fulsome. I'll say it again. But So um, I want to say thank you very say much. It, to everybody. Yeah, I'm going to say it. So, uh, say Rich, it. <laughs> so, Rich, thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been great to have you. Thank How, you. How's your uh, prolonged listening session with the uh, with the MoFi's uh, clamped to your head um, felt? Well, I learned something valuable today, and that is that for this purpose, using it without the amplifier is better. Okay. Because with... With the amplifier in, I'm hearing a phase anomaly on my own voice that's driving me batty. Ah, okay. So that that would be a slight delay then, won't there? Right. Yeah. Uh, it would have to be. And and it yeah. sort of makes sense that it would. So for purposes where you're actually going to be speaking or singing, it probably makes sense to switch their electronics out. Ah, but, so you go uh, passive mode, right, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how I, about halfway through the show, after I was like going like this and grabbing it, trying to figure it out, I just switched it into passive mode and cranked up my uh, output there. And it was like, ah, there you go. Ah, well, there you go. Okay. Learn new every day. Well, thank you very much, Rich. And I hope you have a great mm -hmm. week. And um, you. stay tuned. You'll see all the, the video stuff coming on stream as soon as. Oh, to our American friends, uh, next Tuesday, the 14th, Sheik will be appearing live on the Jimmy Kimmel show, late night uh, television Ooh. show. Awesome. Oh, that'll be fun. Is that, will you be mm -hmm. playing live, do you think? Yes, we will be playing live. Wow, nice. That's always exciting. What sort of audience is that in terms of uh, millions? That's got to be a lot, right? Yeah, I don't know the numbers. It's big. Yeah. It, it's one of the three big late-night shows at that prime 11.35 p.m. spot that they've all got. Wow. Uh, it's on ABC's network, and uh, it's broadcast from L.A., so... Of course, you've got James Corden now, haven't you? The James Corden doing the late late show, isn't it? Ah, uh, yes. British import. Apparently doing uh, very they, well. Oh, yeah, yeah. The guy who replaced Ferguson. Yeah. Yeah. Is that who that is? Oh, yeah. Cool. It's a shame. Real shame. Ferguson was the best thing late night television may have ever had. Well, I guess you got to go, you got to go. I, I've personally never quite got his uh, his thing, but, you know, I was obviously a Ferguson was Ferguson was great, and that robot was even better. <laughs> that robot, um, he was his sidekick, was unbelievable. It was hilarious. I never saw it. I'll have to dig it out on YouTube. Oh, man. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us, Rich, as ever. And also, uh, Mr. Mark Tinley over there in uh, sunny Glastonbury, I think so. Yeah, thank you very Glastonbury, much. Glastonbury, yeah. Uh, and it is sunny. And it's Somerset summer. means Somerset means land of the summer people. It's the summer, and they're all arriving. Actually, all the hippies are arriving on the high streets, been bustling with people in their like 
uh, what are those called? You know, like flared, flare sleeved uh, tops, like velvet tops and everything, and little hats with bells on and everything. So uh, there's going to be lots of very interesting people to talk to. Ah, and that's cool. I said to my nine-year-old yesterday, I said, Laura, we're going up the high street, right? Come on. And he's like, I hate going up the high street with you, Dad. And I was like, why? And he said, you always talk to all of those people and they're all weird. And I was like, right, okay. And then he said, and you're the weirdest. And I was like, ah. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> oh dear. that's a good thing, surely. Anyway, I, I celebrate with... such bad. I've got such bad, uh, what's it, short-term memory that I uh, I was going to go and get my blue headphones from downstairs. <laughs> I totally forgot. I forgot to go and get them. Next time, no, perhaps. So it'll Next have time. to be later, yeah. Next time, perhaps. <laughs> Mark, thank you very much for joining you know, us. This is in the course of five minutes. I was doing something else, totally forgot to do it. Must have been so, something sorry. interesting one of us said, I'm sure, that yeah, diverted you back. Anyway, Mark, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. You're very much. welcome. <laughs> And of course, uh, Robbie Bronner in there, back back home. Um, is that it for a while, or are you going to do some summer gigs and festivals and all that kind oh, of thing? We got we got loads of we got loads of summer gigs coming up, and off back to America for a little stint in May as well, and possibly June. Right. Possibly some gigs with Tears for Fears, I think maybe. Oh, band. awesome! That'll be good. I wonder who's playing with that band because uh, there's a whole bunch of Tears for Fears musicians based in Bath. I wonder if any of them will be partaking in that. Be Tears for Fears B52s. We'll have to see. Ah, cool. Anyway, Robbie, thank you very much. Um, much enjoyed having you all here again, and also thank you again to our sponsors. Let's not forget, uh, you can win a copy of Isotope Iris Two. All you got to do is tweet out the hashtag Win Iris Two. Uh, that's to the number to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And remember, there is no live show next week, but we will be posting our um, uh, chat with Darren Crowley from uh, Isotonic Studios. So if you're interested in kind of what goes on under the hood with Max for Live and the sort of things that you could do with that, stay tuned. That's it for this week. Thanks for watching.